Hey everybody, this is the House of Shade, and today's episode is co-hosted by Red-Eyed Bear and Anon Silk, who are joined by Shade Protocol developers Guy Garcia and Mohamed Patla. In this episode, we talk about what brought Guy and Mohamed to Shade Protocol, we learn what a smart contract is, and what makes secret smart contracts unique, discuss what goes into building a protocol, and we get answers to the questions submitted by House of Shade community members. Now let's jump right in and join Red-Eyed Bear and Anon Silk for our third episode of House of Shade. And we're live. All right. Thank you, Muhammad and Guy, for joining us today to talk about smart contract development on Shade Protocol. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. I uh, want to welcome you here and very excited to talk to you guys today. Yeah. Likewise, excited to be here on this channel. Uh, been following it for a while, so excited to be on it. Thank you for having us. I've also been following for a while, so it's pretty exciting to actually get to talk to you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, the goal is to be able to put out information that even the people on the core team can look back and say, okay, I can I can gain something from this, which is really cool to hear from you guys. Um, before we get into the content that we're trying to cover today, um, I want you guys to be able to provide a little bit of background on yourself, maybe some of your professional experience and uh, some of your formal education that's helped you do what you do at Shade Protocol. Um, I can get started on that, I guess. Um, so I have been in blockchain since 2017, really. Um, really interest started in because of my technical background. So I have a computer science background myself. So I've been like very much into the space and blockchain in particular. Um, I started obviously on the financial side of things and slowly transitioned over to my technical knowledge, applying my technical knowledge over the years in there, particularly on the node operations. Um, I did a little bit of uh, mining in, uh, uh, in the proof of work space, and then I'm transitioning over to proof of stake eventually. Uh, but it has been a journey on that side. I do have a lot of background in AI. I have a lot of background in um, uh, full stack development in particular. Um, I've been working in multiple um, startups and uh, um, operations in particular in different projects for um, uh, IoT as well as um, uh, security level uh, communications and uh, a little bit of machine learning as well. So yeah, I have a all stack, I would say, background across computer science. Um, I guess the one place I've not worked in is like really purely data science, <laughs> but it's 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 definitely uh, technology has like the biggest interest to me, and that's one of the reasons I'm in blockchain. Um, I've been there, like I said, since 2017. Uh, I met Carter a year and a half ago, actually. We started Secure Secrets uh, on Secret Network because we both are like privacy enthusiasts, been there in Enigma, and we were we basically met through the Enigma uh, channels, you could say. So <laughs> uh, we basically met and we decided that it's something we want to start. We started doing node operations. We provided some DevOps. Initially, we provided some community for front as well by being in the education community and Secret Network. Um, after that, we transitioned and we decided we want to actually use the tech stack that we have built out here. And that's where Shade Protocol idea was really born. Uh, so we've been working on Shade Protocol for about a year now. Um, I think it's been really public in the last about six to seven months. Uh, once we went live with the white paper and the public announcement on Carter's side of things. So it's been exciting um, and excited to be here. Uh, excited to see where Shade Protocol is really heading and the community that's growing with it as well. Yeah, the the shade white paper was what initially uh, introduced me to the project. So that's right around whenever I found out about you guys when you launched that. But go ahead, guy. Give us a little background um, on yourself. So I have been programming since I was like starting high school, pretty much. I've always been, I have always loved programming, but I've never really found like the thing that I love doing in it. So currently finishing my bachelor's in computer science and engineering, and I have done a couple things, uh, AI, fintech, uh, low-level programming for you know factories and efficiency. But um, when pandemic started, I started realizing that the ecosystem in blockchain was actually getting there in mm -hmm. terms for actual like developers going inside and building products. So that's when I started reading. I started investigating a lot. And uh, I found Secret Network, which was 
like when I saw it, I was, I, I, I'm still, I still don't understand why people aren't like after it. This is what people want. <laughs> so uh, I also realized the community there is pretty, like it's, it's not big enough, but everybody's very active. And I thought, well, this might be the place where, you know, you can get to actually do something meaningful, build something for the community so that people can use. And um, started there. I joined the hackathon. I accidentally met Muhammad there. Nice. <laughs> and the, the rest is history, pretty much. <laughs> which which nice. hackathon was that that you guys met at? Um, I joined the ETH hack hackathon where Secret Network was there. Okay. And um, I was doing a polygon bridge. But the funny oh, okay. thing is, I was looking for a team. I didn't have anybody. And I I thought the secret network chat for finding a team was about that, was about the hackathon. <laughs> so I posted there. I met up with Mohammed, And halfway through the meeting, I realized, oh, this isn't for the hackathon. This is actually like a, a, a real project. Yeah. So instead of like leaving, I said, you know what? Let's see where this goes. I'm, I'll finish the hackathon. I'll keep working on this. And we'll see. And, you know, a few months later, we're building Silk, which Silk and the Shade Protocol in general, which I think is just mind blowing still like every everything that we build is it's impossible yeah. that we're actually getting there. It feels impossible. Sir, sometimes. That's I, awesome. I think that's super cool that you guys met at a hackathon that kind of gives a little bit of uh, legitimacy to uh, spending money on supporting these things because you really never know who you're going to bring on. Um, oh, yeah, and what sort sure. of products they're going to build uh, later down the line. So um, I'm, I have no formal coding background, so I almost certainly will not be participating in any of those, but I'll <laughs> be happy to support. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, learning Rust is on the bucket list for the both of us, I think. So maybe, <laughs> oh, maybe just over I the horizon. Make that three of us. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as... Um, as far as contract development, maybe on like a, in a more bird's eye view, how many people um, are currently working on smart contract development right now uh, for Shade Protocol? Or maybe like how many different groups of developers focusing on contracts are there? For, oh, yeah. I can, okay. Well, for Shade Protocol internally, it's currently three people. Okay. I don't know if I can mention their names. Uh, I don't want to. You don't have to if you don't want to. Don't I'm to just curious anybody, about like. So. <laughs> The, the amount of work, <laughs> yeah. the workforce that's there right now. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we're also going to be expanding on that. There are other people working on it, not with uh, Secure Secrets, but yeah, there are a few. Yeah, I know uh, in our talk with Carter about the tokenomics, he said that there were already at least, I think there were four teams at the time that were already working uh, through the grants, like being funded through the grants yeah. to be able to build products for Shade Protocol, which is super cool yeah. Um, yeah yeah we have like three big teams um two small teams that are like kind of like working towards different primitives just for context and uh they all are like either close to completion i think one of them is almost close to completion another one is like getting started on a very big project so yeah uh it's exciting nice. to see all of that coming together basically yeah <laughs> just yesterday i was reading through one of the grant applicants code so it's it's pretty it, it's pretty close there to one of the phases so it you know there is a lot of people working getting stuff done just out of curiosity is that code that you're talking about for that grant is that all on github like where other people can see it or is that just available it is, to you guys? it's on github but it's not open yet i'm okay. pretty sure it'll go open source once you know everything's done yeah yeah, yeah that's fine i know i know on one of the previous uh, panels that you guys hosted muhammad talked about like for now a lot of stuff is uh, closed source code, but it eventually will move to open yeah. open source code. Yeah. yeah, we will try to make everything open source, in particular as much as we can with respect to contracts and core technology. Um, some things we may, for security purposes particularly, try to maintain it on a private scale, as long as it's only maintaining the front and the looks of things. Mm -hmm. um, but the core technology will mostly be slowly open sourced, uh, depending on how many collaborators we get. Shape, for example, is already open source. Our yeah. core development is already yeah. open source, and we're going to continue maintaining that open source at least. Nice. Yeah, I was able to go uh, and look at um, the, the Shade 
GitHub and look at the core contracts and poke around in there. Again, because I don't have any coding background, <laughs> I can only derive so much information from that. <laughs> uh, but it is cool to be able to poke around in there and see, see the progress. Um, There's some good alpha Easter eggs in there, so whoever wants to poke around. <laughs> I've seen a few things that made me like scratch my head where it's like people, they've got different names in there, like funny different names in there for some of the variables. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I agree. It's very interesting stuff. Um, so obviously the, the most recent big milestone that you guys had was completing the airdrop, or at least the, the initial portion of the airdrop. Have you guys noticed any change in your workload since the the start of the airdropper has it been more constant or like increasing? It, it, at least on my side, it changed from stressing over airdrop to stressing over another smart contract. <laughs> so yeah. it's, you know, I'm usually it's, if it's not the airdrop, it's stressing about the new contract security or how it's going to work. It's always something to, that's the game, right? <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. It's definitely been, uh, I think the last three months have been like a little bit uh, pushy for all of our team, obviously, because we have one thing after the other, pretty much. Um, like we had the airdrop, and now it's most probably mainnet. Uh, probably have something in the middle as well. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be a busy six months to this next year. It'll be a lot of yeah. stuff going on. I'm sure you guys will address some of these things on the uh, the roundtable, right, in six days from now. So. Yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes here, shall we? Uh, I think uh, a good question to start this would be uh, kind of a general one for people who may have heard the term but don't exactly know how to conceptualize it. Can you guys uh, explain what a smart contract is and what it does? Um, I'll leave it to Guy, I guess, on that one. Yeah. Um, hmm. Let's see. Basically, uh, the way to visualize a smart contract is just an application's backend. It's basically the one that handles all of that internal logic, usually pertaining to managing the storage, its internal database mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. So if you have worked on a web app or anything, whatever is the backend, whatever is stored in you know, your company server or something like that, that's pretty much a smart contract. The great thing about this is if you're a small project, if you can't afford that infrastructure, if you can't do any of that, you can just be like make a decentralized app, a smart contract, and just launch it there for like five dollars, and you're done. And you just gotta host your website, and that's it. Interesting. It's crazy. I've I've never really tried to conceptualize smart contracts like that. I always like the best uh, description I've had someone give me was like, you know, these are just executable pieces of code. Uh, once certain parameters are met, like. Uh, you know, certain executions can happen, but viewing it as yeah. the, the back end and trying to relate that to maybe normal web two development, that's that's a really exactly. interesting way to put that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's I also, think, uh, yeah, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, I think uh, on a high level of conception, it's like web two to web three, especially with like smart contracts, is more like you're trying to push the cost of operations from the business and entity to actually the end user directly, right? And that's what gas is really in, in context. Um, so in many capacities, that's, that works out very good. And I think Web3 will have its own space in that context. And Web3 will also have that Web2 flavor coming in in many other contexts. So we should see a lot of mix and match in the next five to 10 years um, as smart contracts evolve and utility evolves for that. Yeah. There's also uh, Web2, also free platforms, for example, usually rely on, for example, aggressive uh, ad targeting. Mm -hmm. And the, the beauty about a decentralized application is since the end user is the one paying for his transactions, you don't really need to put that excuse for stealing your infor like user's information. Yeah. It's it pays for itself. It's always going to be there. The only thing the the actual company is going to have to pay for is basically like a front end. And let's say that company is no more. Another developer could just spin up another front end and work with it since that D app is always going to be in the network. Yeah. And especially, uh, you know, developing smart contracts on secret network, you don't even really have that option to try and sell someone's data, even if you had it, uh, unless they're willing to give you exactly. access to that data. Um, 
So I think that would be a good transition into talking about how secret smart contracts um, differ from maybe like normal contract smart contracts. Um, I've heard Secret Network mention a lot about programmable privacy, and that is the way the best way to mention it. Uh, when you're developing a smart contract, you can make public as much information as you want. So normally, uh, for let's say with a standard open blockchain smart contract, since everything is public, you can also derive and deserialize the information and read it yourself. Because of secret networks like uh, encrypted privacy, you can decide pretty much what you give the, the users and what you give everybody, what you tell them to read, what you show them. And apart from that, it also opens for a lot of more anonymity uh, ideas. Let's say you could build a mixer for your application and just pretty much further abstract the user from the dApp so it's easier to target them. Okay. I mean, sorry, harder to target them. It's a, I would imagine that um, I know Ethereum uh, smart contracts are written in Solidity. And if I'm not mistaken, secret smart contracts are written in Rust. Um, is there any like big uh, maybe like infrastructure differences between the two different programming languages and what they allow the actual contract to do? So uh, Rust is used not only in smart contracts, but pretty much other platforms and other industries. That means oh, yeah. uh, developers that work on Rust and let's say they build a library, they're not intentional for smart contracts. What does that mean? Uh, let's say you're a developer and you're working for a Solidity smart contract. You have to hope that some Solidity developer that's working on Ethereum built a library that you're trying to use. In Rust, uh, you can just it's very easy to just look up a library of what you're trying to do and find it. You obviously have to audit it and make sure it doesn't use certain things that this, yeah. like the, the blockchain doesn't allow you to do. So, yeah. for example, floating point numbers. But apart from that, it's easier for the developer. It's quicker. And you know these libraries are audited because you can see they're imported by 200,000 people a day, stuff like that. Wow. So it gives you more power and making an app is just generally easier. So that's yeah. like one of the big pros. And another thing, you can be as safe and unsafe as you want with Rust. They are the best way I, you know, I could be wrong. And some developers might shake their, roll their eyes over this, but it's basically C++, but with pointer safety. Okay. Uh, so you just have the power of C++, but it's easier, less of a hassle, less of a headache. So overall, I, really vouch i'm a fanboy for rust and <laughs> i <laughs> love that that is the de facto language for this nice what and uh rust is globally getting adopted as well very well right we see it's cosm wasm adopted for a reason as well they do want to adapt some other binary languages as well like assembly and stuff but cosm wasm chose rust as the first one for a reason that was because rust is becoming very popular like i mentioned it was in external systems embedded systems um and a lot of edge cases and where especially with performance and you want like really good control over what the system is really doing so a uh, lot of lot of scope there okay it just out of pure curiosity here guy what other coding languages do you know or do you utilize um, um i imagine rust is probably the primary one with contracts yeah on a daily basis, I use uh, Rust and Python. Okay. But uh, in the past, I have used pretty much the most I've used is Golang because I also worked, like, I dabbled on the Cosmos SDK. And before that, I was using Golang, C, C, which are still one of my favorite languages to work on. Um, what else? What's big? Uh, Java when I started, I guess. Okay. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, those are like the main languages. The one, the ones I hear uh, in talking with people that are doing various different types of development, not necessarily smart contract development, but I hear a lot of people um, talk about using Python. Um, and I'm not 100% sure what, what Python can do, like what specific things it can do, but I've heard people talking about uh, making like uh, arbitrage bots using Python and, mm. and some other things, being able to query the node uh, with Python. But yep. that's Python really cool. 
very very good for data science uh, 100% so anything related to data or data management you want to do python is mm. a, is a very good language to go to so yeah you'll see you'll see even non coders come and like you know work in python because it's useful in data science so gotcha. yeah a lot of uh, extensibility there okay it's nice it's very easy and uh it's very also very easy to iterate and test over so for example if i'm trying to do some logic that i'm not really sure it'll work i usually do it in python first i test it i prove that it works and then i'll move it into rust so oh, okay it allows you to build things quickly without just caring about it working like okay. perfectly you just want to prove would you uh works. would you advise a new developer to start with one or maybe a c plus plus or something it really depends you want to do um if you work on web probably you know python is a great way to start if you're very into for example robotics uh low level ai or low level programming in general c and c plus plus is the way so it's it's really a case by case uh recommendation okay cool gotcha um, so as far as uh, shade protocol is concerned, what are, um, I mean, not what are, I, I know the core contracts are available on uh, shade protocol GitHub. Would you maybe mind going through uh, some of the most important core smart contracts real quick? <laughs> you could start with the airdrop one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, uh, uh, would you like more information behind airdrop or a list well, of them? Well, it's more like the things I'm, uh, I guess, more interested about are the things that are going to be coming out here in the in the near term, um, like your treasury contract, uh, staking contract, um, governance, uh, and some of the other things that will play, like, important roles to make the whole product kind of work together as a whole. So just on high level, I can list out things 100%. So minting, Oracle, staking, treasury um, are our core contracts really. That's what governs what Shade and Silk will look like. There's gonna okay. be um, a couple of other contracts, um, obviously with respect to staking derivatives, they're gonna be like its own contract on its own. Um, there's the lending thing that's that's its own thing that's coming around the corner as well. So yeah, there's like our core contracts, but what lives on the core repository are our minting, um, uh, staking, governance, treasury. Uh, these are our core contracts, which is probably gonna be targeted for our V1 launch really. So okay. we should see some usability and probably when we, it's launched, there'll be like a sequence of launches with that. So okay. yeah, <laughs> that obviously includes a Shade 24, a Shade SNP 24 and a Silk SNP 24, right? Yeah. So. Those contracts are included as part of this as well. So as far as um, the timeline that Shade's looking at in the near future, what do you think is going to be the next um, contract that you guys deployed is uh, fully live? Is is that going to come when we've got the full protocol launch, or is that going to be the staking derivatives? I know you guys have hinted at that coming out before uh, the protocol launches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So staking derivative is definitely coming out before the mainnet launches. Uh, staking derivative is a standalone contract, just for context. And uh, the staking derivative will be for secret, right? So secret mm -hmm. staking derivative. We also have some plans for shade derivative when shade mainnet is launched. So post shade mainnet in most capacity. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the derivative contract is first. That's going to be coming out. And as far as the sequence is concerned, it, it wasn't any um it wasn't any brainer that why the airdrop went first there was a very very good reason for why shade was out first and why the mainnet is coming after and that was architecturally designed that way so we needed shade in the market to have a value and that's why it's out there uh with respect to the launch in sequence we'll obviously see the real core part is, I think, are minting, entry minting, and conversion minting with Silk. That's going to be the first step of what's going to be launched. Um, the main objective, obviously, is to get Silk out there with respect to Shade and really also allow that control of how much Silk is going to get out there or how the Silk is minted out, right? So that's going to be our first contract in sequence, followed by our governance and governance followed by staking and staking followed by our treasury. <laughs> so nice. it's like our key sequence, really. Uh, you'll see that 
all those contracts will be deployed together because they do have some um, things they call each other for in, in high level capacity, which Kai can talk about, I guess, a little bit more, but they do have some reliability on each other. So we need to make sure they launch together. And basically it will be like launched and the ability to like uh, do all the functionality will be released step by step on the front end, obviously. So we'll be limiting and we'll seeing, obviously there's also things to consider on DevOps side as well as, you know, how the network can handle this. So fingers crossed guys, like we see a lot of network improvements in the custom because the shade uh, airdrop pretty much uh, slowed down the network in, at a very, very high capacity. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should hopefully see some very good improvements and Secret Labs is working on it um, as we know. Yeah. That that makes sense that you guys would have some of the contracts kind of deploying together because they rely heavily on each other. Like, I would imagine your entry minting contract is very heavily tied to your treasury contract. Um, same with staking in the treasury. Um, so that that makes total sense. Yeah, pretty much minting depends on treasury. Treasury depends on minting and staking. Staking depends on treasury. Governance depends on staking. So it's pretty much a whole set of contracts that you can't really launch them spaced apart by months. You have to launch them together. So yeah. it all just works in a synergy fashion. And that that makes sense because I, I remember hearing Carter talking about, uh, and I don't remember which interview this was, but he was talking about how there is a, like a particular order that things need to be released in order to make sure things don't break or just like, completely yeah. fall apart um and doing that in a in a particular sequence and time frame uh, it makes sense is there a is there a particular order they have to be developed in or can those kind of be revisited whenever um there is no well there's a kind of a logical order for example i can't really work on governance if i'm not 100 percent sure on staking but the rest of the contracts don't really depend on an order you just need to preset how everything's going to interact and be very confident how how on how that's going to work mm -hmm. and after that you can just work a little bit on one contract work a little bit on the other and keep building them out so it, it that type of uh planning helps us have multiple developers on multiple contracts and just building them out at the same time so yeah, it's more feature-based like you know we need to have the feature to ability for users to stake then we need to have the staying contract and the treasury contract to work together for that feature to work, right? So that's how it really, really works. 100%. So, uh, Guy, in your opinion, what do you think has been the hardest contract for you to develop so far? I know a lot of them are probably still in a work in progress, but which one uh, has given you maybe the most grief? <laughs> Just like <laughs> the biggest head scratching moments. Full honesty, it has been airdrop. Um, it's not only is it the scariest one, this is the first contract that everybody's going to be using. Yeah. It needs to be secure. It needs to work. It needs to not get hacked. Uh, so it's, it's very scary. This defines what happens in the future for shade protocol. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I did, we did have some issues with, uh, for example, implementing some Terra stuff. So I have the whole airdrop ready. Then Austin started testing and he told me, Hey, uh, you know, airdrop uh, Terra ledgers don't really work. <laughs> they are not going to work. And we have tried and it's not going to work out. So that was pretty annoying to me. I had to go around like the standard that I had and really just build it out so it works with the mm -hmm. Terra ledgers. But hey, uh, with that like forward planning, I think we're one of the only airdrops that hasn't had any direct issues with our airdrop. So yeah. Yeah, it's been really that, good. The cross-chain airdrop definitely, it sounds impressive, and I'm sure it was uh, quite the feat to build out. <laughs> it's uh, hard. <laughs> yeah. You had to go in and learn all about Terra Station to figure yeah. out the derivation path? Wow. Yeah, pretty much I'd say the front-end team is an expert on Terra. And uh, <laughs> you can ask me anything about addresses and how they work because I had to learn them. So we've all learned a lot that I really didn't expect we were going to learn, but... It's it's I, been a journey. Yeah. Something yeah. tells me that won't be a bad thing given no, the synergies between the, right. the two communities, right? Yeah. And in the in the long run, just being able to look at some of the logic that they've done and having just a more intimate understanding of like 
how they've built it out, how can we potentially take what the progress that they've made and improve on it? Yep. So. And I hope it also works towards standardization because we are working in a multi-chain world and I hope Terra and Secret Network both like start realizing why standards are very important and why we should be moving towards like a standard pathway, especially with respect to keys. I know this debate has been very public between many of the Cosmos core contributors yeah. and how we should have a single derivative path for like, you know, all the mm -hmm. Cosmos chains and why that's a good way but people disagree and uh, <laughs> there's already implementations and no one wants to like, everybody wants their method to be the standard, right? Like that's yeah. how it works, but hopefully we can come to some form of consensus or like tooling that have for like, that could be very smooth in the near future, especially with IBC and um, uh, things on the horizon really with Yeah. So yeah, that's what, when I first started getting into this, like really starting diving down the um, crypto rabbit hole, I started touching on a little bit about derivation paths and some of the different ways that you can derive addresses um, and different things. And to me, I, from my simpleton kind of view here, it does seem like it would be easier from uh, a developer standpoint to have all of your, like everyone use the same sort of derivation pathways. Um, but I get people wanting to do their own thing at the same time. The issue is primarily, I do agree with having different derivation paths per chain. It's more of a, I don't really remember the exact reason for Terra's uh, wallet issue, but the way they derived addresses for Ledger was very different from uh, Kepler. Okay. So you could import your Ledger into Kepler, but you were not going to have the same address. You're not going to have the same signature. So it's not going to be the oh, same. So okay. you have to implement the Terra wallet and Terra wallet doesn't is it, it's, it works, but it's not as flexible as for example, the Cape, the Kepler's API allows you to be. Okay. Gotcha. That was yeah, one of the main that. issues. That makes sense. Um, so would you guys be able to provide like maybe this is something uh, guy you can speak a little bit more intimately about um, at least the the first portion maybe Muhammad talks about uh, the end portion but can you give us like a basic walkthrough of the process of building out a smart contract like from the start of you know you've got this idea of what you're trying to build starting developing your logic to the point where you're deploying this contract um, and it's live and people can interact with it so I'd say uh, Muhammad can start on that. Usually uh, that's where they work in, where they find out what we need to do and uh, give us a pretty much a overall spec of what needs to be built. Yeah, so we, we, we follow what we do is we usually go to the white paper and we decide what are the things we really need to get done first, right? Um, what are the high level scope? What, what is the user really looking for when it's interacting? What is a DAO member? What is a shade member looking to interact with the shade contracts, right? Mm -hmm. So we look, look at those features, we list down, okay, we need to have this feature implemented. We need to have this feature implemented and we may need like five different contracts to work for this feature to work. So we just decide, okay, this is important. This is important and scope it out really what goes into our launches. And like our launches are also divided into multiple things like airdrop happen, mainnet we want, and there's a V2, which we don't talk about much, but there is a V2 yeah. uh, behind the scenes. So <laughs> uh, there is a lot of scope we decide on. And then we come back to the team really and be like, we need to develop these features. What are the best ways to go about it? What, what do we architecture decide? We usually set up with teams. I know we did this back for our V1 launch. Initially, we drew up dark diagrams and architecture diagrams and how the contracts interact with each other. Um, and once we had that in place, then we were like, you know, now let's go back individually to contracts and like, you know, see who's working on what features. And I think that's where the key parts of the contract development really come in. And that's where Guy and the rest of the team really work on. Okay. So yeah, guys, can you explain a little bit about more about, I guess, about what features you guys work on? Like, how do you guys collaborate? That's a good one as well. You know? Yeah. So once we're done getting that overview we usually sit down we talk about we talk with each other what we want to do uh which parts we want to tackle uh then we start thinking about how our features are going to interact with them we try to set up a sort of standard of communication between these contracts 
And then the, the fun part starts, which is pretty much you have to set an idea. What are you going to that? This is usually my methodology. So I grab the data that I'm going to be saving. I think about what am I going to be storing? What's going to be public? What's going to be private? And what data structures am I going to use? So, for example, like so that's something that I learned a lot from the airdrop. Oh, mm -hmm. The type of data that you use and how you store it is really going to influence not only the gas price the user pays, but uh, efficiency, how safe it could be, and mm -hmm. how initializing a smart contract could be. For example, the, the first iteration of the airdrop, initializing it costs like $2,000. Yeah, I was putting the whole JSON, the whole JSON airdrop. Okay. Then after discussing with Asaf for looking for any alternative, he did tell us about um, Merkle trees. So mm -hmm. we started working on that, which is pretty much a way to cryptographically, cryptographically prove that the data you're sending the smart contract is actually in the airdrop. Okay. And um, this makes it all easier. This also requires some sort of hashing, which was pretty efficient. And um, once you have that, um, thinking about how the arrays are going to work, all that. You start thinking about the actual structure. Um, what are the users going to be doing? How do you want the user experience to be? You don't want as many TXs as possible. You don't want the user to have to sign like five transactions before you get something done. So you want to be smart about making things as little transactions as possible. And then what information do you have to, do you want to put out? Uh, what do you want to be public with? And do you want to do some sort of uh, like watering down, rounding down, for example, the airdrop? The airdrop is not 100% specific on the airdrop claim amount. That's mm -hmm. only going to be specific when the airdrop is over. Okay. So while the airdrop is there, it's rounded down by 1,000. So if you claim, I really can't tell how much you claimed. So it's like so, an extra little layer of privacy. Exactly. Okay. I like that. And um, it really protects the user. So it's always about thinking about that. Do you want to be 100% transparent? Do you want some sort of transparency? But when do you want to have that transparency enabled? Yeah. And, you know, it's it's always a th uh, like a thinking about that. That's usually the thing that most that takes most time out of a programmer, I think. Hmm. And then it's implementing, which is usually the the easy part, since you have everything already set up in your mind. You're usually going to fall into some roadblocks, but that's uh, it gets easier once you have everything planned out. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you guys circled back to Merkle trees because isn't that you know just touching roots with what made Bitcoin possible to begin with? Yeah, uh, it, I, I think when I started reading about Merkle trees, that is the first example, and I think the only big example is uh, how Bitcoin made their hashes easier to iterate through. I think that was the main idea because you have a lot of gigabytes of data in that ledger. So it gets hard to just find the information that you want. Yeah. So I think that was right. the main idea and also helped with batching up uh, blocks. So it's, it's a very important thing and it's, it's already industry tested. So it, it right. was a easy way to get through. I will say one of the things that you mentioned that I didn't really think about, but now that you mentioned it, I realize how important it really is, is, uh, trying to reduce the number of clicks or the number of interactions a user has to have to like uh, successfully complete an objective, whether that be sending something, claiming something, uh, verifying information. Um, so I imagine that, you know, with your development, you have all these different steps and you need to just boil it down to a, figure out a way to integrate them or just somehow make it so that users have to interact with it less to be able to achieve that same objective. Exactly. Like, yeah. you got to think that these users are going to be using this page a lot. You don't want them getting frustrated. And yeah. let's say some of us use ledgers. So every TX is not just, just clicking accept. You have <laughs> to mean, go man. through the whole thing in your ledger and accept it. Yeah. You might have to put your password. So, you know, having to do that every single TX is pretty annoying. Yeah. I will say, uh, I think the the shade airdrop claim was the most I've had to click through on my ledger. Uh, I think it was like 70 something. Uh, yeah. Mine was like a hundred pages, something like that. It's, it's stupid. <laughs> that's like primarily the Merkle tree because how yeah. big the airdrop was. I think it was 
200,000, 300,000 people. Well, I'm glad you guys are already thinking about the, uh, like trying to reduce the number of interactions that people have to have in order to achieve that objective. Just because if, if you don't have like a really, really good UI UX, um, it's your adoption is going to lag behind, at least in my opinion, like you can produce something that the actual product itself and what it does works phenomenally. But if users struggle or, you know, just don't want to interact with it, then you're, you're going to have a real problem. And so trying to simplify that interaction um, with something that may be super complex, but simplifying it so that users um, have this easy to interact with, uh, interface, you know, that that's really important. Yeah, yeah. I, I know our front end team worked intensively to make that make that a reality, make sure that our front end is as good and snappy as possible. Um, the only thing we couldn't account for was that the network would, would really not be able to keep up with that. So we had to we had to slow it down artificially, which yeah. was annoying, but uh, it was what we had to do at that time. Um, but yeah, like we did, um, and maybe this is for a separate call itself, but like a front end team really, really put a lot of time yeah. into making every interaction work perfectly and that people would users at the end of the day, wouldn't have any issues per se. Yeah. Yeah. I did get to participate a little bit in the, the airdrop test net and, um, the amount of thoroughness in reading everyone's comments and trying to take all of that, all of that feedback into consideration to optimize the airdrop like from a community member that not only means a lot but it also helped my end experience um and then i is a happy end user can go and talk to other people about it so uh yeah all credits to that on austin and jack as well as uh dalton to mitigate all that stuff as well so yeah all credits to the front end team and really really pushing for that stuff so um and taking a little bit more of a bird's eye view uh, outside of contract development, what other sort of pieces have to come together to produce this final product? So like, let's say we're thinking about staking, right? You've got the actual staking contract and then you have to, I imagine you're gonna have to have front end developers building out the interface where people actually can interact with that contract. Um, are there any other groups that need to work together that, that the contract development team works with very closely in building out this end product um so i can talk a little bit on that front so the contract team is really working as much as independently just so they can have their heads on and like the features that they have to work on usually the front end team comes in and works on the features that are completed for the most okay. part uh, but we do have like a whole design team external design team that helps works with closely with our front end devs and so we already have a lot of our we want requirements already set out and kind of like flushed out from design perspective, uh, although they're doing a full architecture review right now. But um, the point is that they are working towards like all the early primitives that are first needed, making sure the base is set up and that we also have multi-team collaboration ongoing right now. So like we have a lot of um, things that are working on our front end per se. But the real real objective is like really it's like, you know, we come to like a closed uh, testnet version of contracts and that's when, you know, we really kick off the front end um, and bootstrap that because the front end desk can really work with something at that point, right? So that's like mm -hmm. uh, yeah. usually how it goes about on a, on, on the, on a bigger scale there. But uh, we are trying to like, you know, get everybody up to speed as much as we can. But I think the contract team is usually the first and the furthermost ahead on any features, anything that's being worked on really all the time. So uh, as far as um, developing on Shade is concerned, uh, how, how does developing on Shade differ from other projects? Just because I know all of the applications that are building on top of Shade are gonna be integrated. Um, you know, they're going to have value capture that goes back to the protocol. So I imagine the collaboration between the teams looks a little bit different than, let's say, you know, an application wanting to build on Ethereum. There's probably not a whole lot of collaboration between actual yeah. Ethereum developers and that applica the application yeah. developers. Yeah, 100%. Like, um, when we think about shade primitives, we don't think about people building purely on the shade code base or like a specifications of shade code base. There are some specifications and stuff, but 
not the way a secret network, for example, has it, right? Like we have the SNP24 specification that everybody uses for the SNP standard, but it's not the same case for Shade. Shade is like our other parallel teams are working on secret network, mm -hmm. although they are collaborating to make sure that one part of it is that they incorporate our treasury at DAO, and that is that revenue is worked back to the DAO mm -hmm. in whatever capacity it looks like, or if not directly interacting with the core contract. So yeah. um, we have to make sure that we are in tandem with all the teams in parallel in that, that this is where the treasury is going to live like, or this is like the Oracle that we're going to be using. Um, and then obviously the shade and snip silk snip twenties are already out there for them to interact and use, mm -hmm. right? So um, it really is like those primitives are working in parallel almost to the shade contracts all the time. But the only key part is that any profits generated on that are really going back to the DAO, yeah. feeding back to the shade treasury, the DAO that's going to be controlling that. So whenever, let's say we have a, a new, um, application layer product that's wanting to build on shade protocol obviously you're going to need to make sure that it's connected uh to that treasury contract how do you guys go about actually changing up some of these contracts like let's say it's been deployed but you need to amend it or change it um do you have to go in and edit it and push a new version of it or like what what is that uh process of changing it look like so there's two process and i'll let guy talk a little bit about that at the end because uh the Initial stage is really through a multi-sig controlled by multiple parties. And it's going to be also including the community in the near future, but that's to be decided based on how the DAO structure works and how the DAO comes about. Uh, but the initially through a multi-sig is what is going to be uh, initial parameters set okay. and if ever to be modified. But uh, we're actually having a model where the governance directly on chain controls that. and. I'll let, let guys speak to that more because we actually have that as a feature set for any param change across the shade DAO goes to nice. So the, the cool thing about the DAO is it doesn't have anything hard-coded in it. it like uh, interactions aren't really hard-coded. It uses uh, one of the a, a, a cool features that uh, Cosmolism provides you, which allows you to work on the L1 part of the network so governance pretty much just forwards anything you add so if you would like governance to work on something uh maybe set up a proposal in secret network something like that you can make it do so uh that way if i deploy or if we deploy any other smart contract that we want being run by the governance mm -hmm. you don't really need to update it it just works out of the box oh nice. and apart from that uh there's also uh, committees that are going to be set up. So another important thing that governance needed to have is flexibility on how it works according to the committee. So maybe have, let's say I want to have an, uh, an economics committee. Before they do a proposal, they would need to do an internal, like uh, an internal proposal, an internal voting structure for all those committee members. If they approve okay. it, the proposal goes forward. Uh, people would need to fund it first. It, they could vary, uh, vary depending. And then people would have to vote on that proposal. Another cool thing about the committee is you can add, uh, give them, you can make them so they can't just do any type of uh, proposal. They can't have any type of data in that proposal. Uh, you would need to approve to them what kind of proposal structures they can have. So for example, uh, we have like a sort of reject system for for like the proposal messages. So let's say you only want the uh, economics committee to change the silk value, right? So the type of proposal that they would be allowed to do is a message, like the whole like uh, configuration change for that smart mm -hmm. contract. Everything is going to be set to the default except the value for silk. So that's the only thing that can change. Yeah, that yeah. is cool. So you pretty much have a way to decentralize governance, add weight to certain people, but still limit what they can vote on and what they can change. That's so I mean, there's so many things to be bullish on and excited about with Shade, but I'm so excited to see how governance plays out. Um, just because there, it seems like there are so many things that Shade is doing that it's kind of an experiment. But when you when you really think about it, I think it can really work and in the future help set a standard for you know, 
how much power and flexibility is really given to the members of that of that community. For sure. Uh, I, I used to vouch for the current system in governance, like uh, how L1 Cosmos does it. Mm -hmm. But reading more into the white paper and the governance white paper, I realized yeah, like having committees is important and letting the people decide who these committee members are going to be is also very important. So that type of platform is going to be really good. And there's also another thing uh, mentioned there, which is I really don't remember the exact name. I usually just call them validators, uh, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But it's basically a way for, let's say you're staking uh, shade and you have a certain amount of votes you know you're not going to be active in the in governance. Mm -hmm. So what do you do in an L1? Well, you stake your tokens yep. and that uh, validator can vote for you. And then if you want to vote, you just remove, you basically remove their weight, their, their vote weight. Mm -hmm. That's something we're going to be doing yep. uh, because it's an issue with L2. Uh, L2 governance usually doesn't have that much uh, quorum, like doesn't have that much participation. Yeah. By having validators or you know validators you have hmm. that type of participation you you're gonna get more turnover people are gonna just say hey uh i like what uh the devs think about so i'm just gonna give them my voting power or do something like that yeah i i'm i'm very excited uh to learn about this i know we've talked internally at the house of shade about being very active in governance um either being looking at being representatives or having just a very active voice in governance. Um, but very excited to see how this plays out over the, yeah, over the I, I just want to pay homage to the, uh, there's, there's such an experimental spirit with this team. And I just think that's so amazing because in other projects you find iterations, but very, very small ones. And then the rest is try is the like, how can we extract value and make this one little iteration? The thing I yeah. love about this team is that the, because there, there's also a lot more room in the design space, given that uh, every application is under the same protocol token. It's just, it's so exciting. So exciting. Yeah. Uh, a main uh, issue with having this much change is usually you can look at other projects, but it's hard to just learn from other projects. There are many things we're doing that are very different. So I, I could argue that we're the first doing certain things and that, get scary because you need to be right about this. You, yeah. you can't really just look at other projects and say, Hey, I could do this. I could do the <laughs> other thing. Cause like nobody's doing this. Yep. And uh, <laughs> it's exciting. Cool. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. So obviously as time passes, um, the layer one that you guys are built on top of secret network is going to be um, doing network upgrades. And if I'm not mistaken, the next, big network upgrade is going to be upgrading the Wasm engine that Secret Network uses. And I'm really interested to hear from you guys about how that's going to impact um, the products that you guys are building and more specifically how that's going to impact uh, smart contracts or the secret uh, smart contracts. So I can say a little bit on that, but I think the Wasm performance is something I think Guy would love to speak on because uh, we have discussed this internally a lot of times and what we want with V1. Not to mention, I know there is a lot of other features Cosmo Wasm V1 brings that would be really beneficial for Shape, really, right? Uh, but really talking on that, Cosm Wasm in general, like we, we, there was something we could just be like, it would be like we'd want to launch after that upgrade. But um, it, there's no fixed timeline on that just yet. Although Secret Labs has right now publicly said a couple of things that they're working on and yeah. we are looking forward to that. And we'll try to incorporate that as much as we can in the grand scheme of things. But it really depends on when that upgrade comes out. Um, so. Fingers crossed on that. But I let Guy talk a little bit about the engine itself. I know there are some other features that V1 brings as well that we would like to have. Yeah, like yeah. like Mohammed said, efficiency. Who doesn't love cheaper gas prices? Yeah. Let's be honest here. So that's <laughs> we could the use main that thing. right now. Yeah. We really 100%. use that right now in the US at least. <laughs> so that's the main thing. Um, I think query nodes are also gonna get an improvement. So that could also make uh, and the other improvements with uh, permits. So that could make using permits as a default uh, more like more of a thing we can start thinking about instead of uh, an alternative to yeah. viewing keys. 
uh, what else? IBC. Like, that's the most important one. Uh, smart yeah. contract IBC. That means we could do smart contracts in other uh, Cosmosm enabled chains. Let's say mm -hmm. something you don't care if it's public, uh, it'll be cheaper and you can have it communicate with secret network that allows you to have like a uh, a true, maybe a shape, like multi-chain shape protocol uh, service. Uh, apart from that, you know, our tokens are going to be IBC. That means they're going to be in Osmosis. They're going to be in any other decks. They, they can be in Juno swap. Uh, you know, the, the possibilities are endless there. Yeah. So, and um, finally, there are improvements in the library with Cosmosm. We have been trying to do workarounds while we wait for that, but finally having those upgrades there, for example, some math library upgrades you're going to be having, uh, storage improvements and all that, which is also going to help further reduce gas prices. And it's nice. very important. Nice. And I saw uh, this is kind of on that topic, but I know Secret Labs uh, just put out a new upgrade for the query contracts uh, and for query nodes. Um, does that have any direct impact on you guys right now, or does that change the way you guys are uh, approaching uh, building out your products? So like um, just on that query nodes in particular, um, so the query nodes performance is really for the front end applications and uh, okay. maybe on submitting transactions, really, that's what really it comes down to. So, you know, you have more queuing and you have more threads working basically. So definitely a good performance improvements. Uh, we have still not updated in our shape cluster, which will slowly get upgraded once that, once it's vetted that that works on all our uh, nodes and not just query nodes. So yes, definitely we want to incorporate as many performance improvements are there. Not that many impact uh, directly on the contract level because the query node performance is more like how it optimizes existing contracts already, right? So uh, we are going to be continuing development on that um, as much as we can. Uh, what we are on the horizon, what we are looking forward is the next horizon upgrade, which is the uh, Cosm Wasm upgrade, because that changes a lot on the yeah. contract side implementation more than that that makes sense um well i know uh that that covers we just we just covered a lot of information um and i want to give us a little bit of a chance to um ask you guys some questions that were generated by the community um that way um, people can actually one feel like their questions are being directly answered but it's also nice to get perspectives from other people that you know that have different levels of um, that base knowledge so i'll let anon get into this Sure. Yeah. Uh, there's not there's not too many. I don't take up uh, your entire Saturday yeah. night here. But um, the first one from Melch eighteen is, um, what will the Shade devs focus on after Mainnet while all the DeFi apps are launching under Shade? Um, so again, to reiterate on that question, really, um, the thing is that the Mainnet launch is going to have a set of contracts, but for the other primitives to work. The initial contracts have to be maintained to make sure that those contracts are up to date with working with the other primitives. So there's definitely going to be that long-term uh, upkeep of those contracts that is going to be a focus. Um, and on the second part of that is uh, a mainnet. Like we talk about mainnet, but it's actually mainnet v1, and we actually have a mainnet v2, which uh, obviously brings out a lot of other things that our roadmap talks about, but uh, there is a whole plan for the V2 launch, which will not be the part of V1. So yeah, like we'll be probably working towards that already once we are launched and we'll be focusing on how we can get V2 out there so that contracts can get updated and the next iteration of what Shade DAO would look like. Um, and I'm talking about many, many improvements when Shade 1 comes out to Shade V2 comes out, basically. It's, wow. I'm, I'm just curious real quick, what sort of... <laughs> like on a real basic level what sort of uh, maintenance needs to be done for these contracts so, after they've been deployed yeah so primarily maintenance would be with uh, making sure that all the uh, contracts and key parameters are 
basically uh, whitelisted for once, right? So they have to make okay. sure that all of them are whitelisted, all the primitives work with them. Um, and second thing with respect to maintenance, and we don't talk about contract maintenance, we talk about a lot of front-end maintenance that actually okay. goes into keeping course contracts up and working, right? Um, not to mention integrations. We are we don't talk a lot about this, but there's a lot of integrations we're thinking about with Silk and external applications using that. Let's hope so that Silk is by day one IBC compatible, but uh, if it's not, then we have to make sure that it does get IBC compatible. So that, that does come into what we'll be maintaining and make sure that happens. Yeah, sure. That's actually like a perfect segue because uh, our second question is from Crypto Max One, and he asked, "What is it about secret smart contracts that makes it so that they're not compatible with IBC chains?" Um, <laughs> yeah. So, like, like I said, like um, because IBC is only compatible with Cosm, Cosm V1, like we spoke about. So we have to really wait for that update to come out. But it depends on when that upgrade comes out. It is a possibility that update gets pushed back. It really depends on Secret Labs. Um, if it gets pushed back, uh, we won't launch with the IBC compatibility, but Asaf has mentioned and publicly has mentioned that we're gonna he's going to support backward compatibility, but there is going to be some, perhaps some modifications we would have to do or have some kind of external contract that does that for us. So we'll be maintaining that and doing that for both Shade and Sub. Um, that is the goal, but hopefully we get Cosm wasn't be one before we launch. <laughs> I also oh, cool. like uh, to add something on that term. The 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 issue with uh, the Cosm wasn't 1.0 upgrade is other chains can freely upgrade whatever Cosm wasn't updates because they're just pulling directly from the Cosm wasn't repo. Uh, Secret network because of the privacy features, everything is pretty much custom made. We're also using a different uh, Wasm engine, which I think it's in the plans to be changed into like a more modern one. But there's a lot of things that come into like development with Secret Network. So updating into Cosm Wasm 1.0 is not as simple as with other chains. You need developers working on it. You need to test it. And you are pretty much just doing the Cosm Wasm module from scratch to a certain extent. There's a lot of like custom things going in there. Holy crap. Yeah, God bless you guys. <laughs> <laughs> the last question here is from Voter. Uh, it's what's your opinion on the SNP uh, 21 through 24 improvements for SNP 20 tokens? And are the UX improvements worth the effort for implementing these new tokens? Um, Guy, you want to talk about this testing stuff you guys know? Um, I, my opinions on the SNP20 upgrades, I think they're great. Um, I really like the latest one. I'm, I really do love permits, the idea of permits. So I think uh, having those is very important. Um, ideally, and initially, I thought because of the IBC upgrade, we were going to be seeing another SNP20 iteration. But thanks to Asav's uh, uh, comments, he did say we're going to, they're going to be like, backwards compatible so i don't yeah. think you know we're gonna need anything like that um i'd like to see in the future to have like secret secret upgraded to the latest of 20 but i know that's a headache so, <laughs> hmm. so uh, or sure. is it should we assume that all the uh snip tokens out there are they all using the same standard like is everyone using that snip 24 standard right now yeah or, well or everything that's new should be using this uh, oh. snip 24 standard um i imagine most uh tokens that release are using uh like uh, secret networks published like open source github implementation of the snip 20. Mm -hmm. so if they use that they're already using the latest snip 24. um i really don't see uh uh, a reason to move away from that repo specifically. For example, in the staking contract, I'm pulling from that one. I'm just modifying everything that I don't need and keeping everything that I need. So it's always good to just use whatever somebody else built to, you know, you know, it's proven to be safe. It's yeah. been there since I've seen the network. So there's no reason to move away from it, in my opinion. Do you think that's the reason that the you were saying that you'd like to see the secret secret 
SNP 20 get upgraded? You think they're keeping it like as an older version just so they can pay homage to what it used to be like? Like that first one that got developed? Honestly, the thing is, uh, currently the SNP 20 doesn't have a way to easily upgrade. Oh, okay. So uh, I don't, I think uh, Secret Swap has upgraded their token and it usually comes in a way of you have your old token, you send it to a smart contract and it mints yeah. a new, it mints a new version. Yeah. Moving that you have a, a ton of smart contracts that are using secret secret. So, okay. There's not very, like a lot of, a lot of improvements that would motivate uh secret secret to upgrade. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. I'd, I'd like yeah. to see it get upgraded, but I know it's a, it's just a logistics nightmare. Yeah, it's just a hard upgrade to do it while the chain is live. Um, I okay. don't know if Secret Labs can do something by like just exporting the state and putting it in a new one. I don't think that's possible either, or at least very hard to do that. Um, but yeah, I do. I do mirror a guy that hopefully we'll see an upgrade sometime. Maybe, maybe I don't know when Cosmos and V1 comes. Uh, it makes sense to make all of them compatible to. Uh, I, I don't know. Is it going to be the SNP 24s that are going to be compatible with IBC or SNP 20 to 24? I don't know how that works, but hopefully yeah, we can shed more light when the development of that comes closer, close to the closer to line, basically. My guess, I'd say all of them are going to be compatible since they use the same, like most of the things that they use are the same. It's just the features that are added on top. Um, but who knows? Maybe with Cosmosm 1.0, there's a lot of obvious improvements that can make everything cheaper. So we might see a SNP 24.1 that upgrades and makes everything, you know, overall <laughs> cheaper and faster. So. Fair enough. Well, I want to thank you guys for joining us today to talk about smart contract development. Um, I really, really enjoyed this conversation with you guys. So easy to talk to you guys. Um, yeah. And so... It was just, a pleasure being here as well. And I'm glad, like, 100% we had this call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess things for community members to look out for in the coming week or the next coming weeks. I know Shade Protocol has a dev panel. Is it this upcoming week? It's the, the 25th of March, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Okay, sweet. Yeah, so everyone make sure, um, mark that on your calendar. Definitely want to be there. Uh, if you think that we dropped some juicy alpha in this episode, you're going to be <laughs> uh, really ready for that dev panel. So another thing I like to add, uh, look into the the staked uh, shade repo. There's some okay. alpha there too. You know, there's <laughs> some interesting stuff in there. All right. Yeah. Is, is there anything else you guys want to uh, want to say before we close out here? Uh, not really. Look out in the next uh, one or two weeks. We're definitely launching something. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a bit interesting. <laughs> there we go. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Um, see you guys next time. Take care, right, guys. Thanks for having us. Have a good All one. Right.